I want to deliver a message to you today entitled, The Power of the Gospel. The Power of the Gospel. And you might say, well, we're all saved. Well, who, who have you gotten saved in the last week? Well, we're all saved, but who have you gotten saved in the last month? Well, we're all saved. Who have you gotten saved in the last year? Well, we're all saved. Who have you ever gotten saved? It's very possible for some Christians who've never actually led someone to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in many cases, it's because they don't feel qualified. They don't feel like they have the power that's necessary to do it. There's always the human side that says, what if I get rejected? What if they never want to listen to me again? And I decided that you know, I'm going I'm to be preaching about the gospel of Jesus Christ for quite some time. Now, just about every message can lend itself toward the gospel, which Brother Chad even did last week uh, in a fine fashion. But the power of the gospel, it's not the power of the speaker. It's not the power of you as the individual who goes out to witness. It's the power of the gospel. That makes a difference. Well, I, I don't speak very clearly. It's the power in the gospel. Well, I don't know that I have a testimony. It's the power in the gospel. Too many people are trying to change the world by their own strength and their own ministries, and they forget all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. What is the power of God to salvation? The gospel. Now, we are overcomers by our testimony and by the blood of the Lamb, amen? So our testimony is an important thing, but the, your testimony is not the power of God to salvation. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. You interlace your testimony with the gospel message, and you have a power-packed uh, dynamite on your hands to see people's lives changed. And each and every one of you are qualified. Each and every one of you are not only qualified, but you are anointed to do so because you have Jesus Christ in your heart. You're not just qualified and anointed, but you're also mandated by the scripture to go into all the world and teach the word of God and share the gospel message of Jesus Christ and convert people to become Jesus followers, Jesus learners. That's the role for all of us. There's nothing to, the, our great commission is, is that, you know, once you get saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, you just make sure that you put your hind end imprint on a, on a seat cushion every week for the rest of your life. No, 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 no. We're all supposed to be sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 in the Passion Translation, the Apostle Paul said this, I refuse to be ashamed of sharing the wonderful message of God's liberating power unleashed in us through Christ. Did you see that? The wonderful message of God's liberating power unleashed through you in Jesus Christ. For I am thrilled to preach that everyone who believes is saved. Well, isn't that just for the, 
the fivefold ministry, you know, that, that operates in the pulpit and pastors a church. No, 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 no. My job actually is to teach you how to go out there and be ministers of reconciliation, ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ, and people who go out and propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ, making disciples. That's your job. It doesn't eliminate me from doing it, because I'll do it in a New York second. But many of us may be sitting in this room like, it scares the pajamas off of me. The gospel, my friends, is, excuse me, is the only thing that can transform lives. It ain't, it ain't by the charismatic preacher. The charismatic preacher only gets people emotionally in, in, uh, uh, stirred up. It's the gospel that transforms lives. Now, many of us might believe and may have heard Billy Graham preach, and we could probably listen to him and go, wow, this guy can truly preach. But his son, Franklin, never expected himself to be a preacher. Uh, he had no none of the charisma and storyline and history that his dad, uh, Reverend Billy Graham, had and he didn't know what he was going to do when his dad went to heaven and it fell on him to begin to run that, that big ministry. And he's went, I don't know anything but the gospel. And that's all he's ever preached. He didn't do the eloquent, uh, high-end, hybrid messages that gets everybody stirred up and shouting and dancing. He got up and he shared the gospel message of Jesus Christ and people by the thousands got saved. The power wasn't in the man of God. He had power because he was filled with the Holy Spirit, but the power to transform was the gospel. And if you and I can just grab a hold of the fact that if we can just share the gospel with someone, that's what has the power to transform a person's life. Not you, not me, not a church. So the same gospel message that dramatically changed Paul's life. <laughs> we, we know about Paul's story on the Damascus Road. He had a radical transformation while en route, 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 whatever it is. I'm from the South. I get all my vernacular all mixed up every now and again. Uh, he had his life completely transformed in just a simple moment. And that same gospel message is something that can transform your life and can transform the life of people around you. Now, the Apostle Paul dealt with shame. Uh, he talked about the fact that he was the chief among all sinners. He talked about in the scripture, the thing I don't want to do, I do. He talked about, uh, you know, uh, the fact that he held the coats for those who stoned Stephen. Um, he, he, like I say, called himself the chief sinner. He was the guy that was sent out as a terrorist, quite frankly, against all of the Christians to put them to death. And so for him to say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ is almost for the Apostle Paul to say, I've found something that I'm not ashamed of. Now, all of us like Paul, at one time or another, have experienced shame. Every one of us 
have experienced shame or embarrassment at one time or another. And, I mean, think about something that you've been embarrassed about or ashamed about in your life. Perhaps you showed up at a dinner party and you were majorly underdressed. Or some wise guy told you it was a costume party and it wasn't. Maybe a little embarrassed, maybe a little shame. Or maybe uh, there will be a couple people in the room that can relate to this with me. Maybe you've had this amazing golf game where everything was working beautifully and you scored nearly your lowest score and you start bragging yourself up only to go out the next day and can't find a a club in your bag or your partner's bag that'll work. Maybe a little embarrassed. Uh, Chances are we've all had something along these lines and these things that I'm talking about are just trivial, quite frankly, not very important things. But I believe that we've probably all been ashamed or embarrassed uh, on much deeper levels in life. And the, and the enemy loves to remind us of all that, doesn't he? Uh, I don't know, perhaps a, a family member did something hurtful and brought shame to the family name. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe it was even you that disgraced the family and disgraced your family name. And you've had to live with that shame for, for years and years and years. And Maybe, maybe you've had a secret that was exposed by somebody that caused everyone in your family or everyone around you to look at you different, to act differently around you, to think about you differently because of that storyline that, well, in the, in, let's just say in this case, was true because you still felt the shame would just rise back up again. So shame is something that we've all experienced, every one of us. But today I want us to focus in on the Apostle Paul. If Paul lived today, uh, he would be known, uh, he would be one of the most wanted fugitives on the planet uh, as a modern day terrorist, uh, quite frankly. Because that was his job. He was on his way, as I said earlier, to go kill Christians when God stopped him in his tracks and saved him. And here's the interesting thing. He went from a, a terrorist to the writer of, of two-thirds of the New Testament that we live by. And now that's a quantum leap, okay? It's like, okay, what transformed in Paul that went from a terrorist on the way to kill Christians to the guy that writes two-thirds of the New Testament? How does someone go take that path? It's because Paul found something to not be ashamed. He found something in his life to be unashamed of. Now, I know I'm using some ministerial license. I don't know if Paul lived his life. I think Paul probably dealt with some shame and embarrassment because he's even the one, that's the one that said, I've not arrived, I don't know everything, but this one thing I do, I forget about all those things. So I'm just saying it's very possible Paul dealt with some personal angst about the path he had taken. Any witnesses? Sure. So finally Paul found something to be unashamed about, and this something was the gospel of Jesus Christ. But people were trying to shame Paul. People were trying to shame him from from converting to Christianity, which people will do the very same to you. They will do their very best to embarrass you, to shame you because of your belief in God. But we should never be ashamed of God. We should never be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Now, maybe we should take a look for a moment and find out exactly what shame is. Shame, uh, by definition, is a feeling of humiliation and deep embarrassment as the result of a decision or action. I don't want you to spend time remembering before Christ or yesterday. Every one of us can look back and go, whew, those were some desperately shameful moments in my life. And the devil likes to make you ride on that dead horse. But did you know that there is no shame for the follower of Jesus Christ? No shame for the follower of Jesus Christ. A little later on in uh, Paul's letter to the Romans, he writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who are followers of Jesus, shame and condemnation are replaced with conviction. Conviction is something that we have that comes from the Holy Spirit. Shame and guilt and condemnation is something that we have that comes from the enemy, whether directly through him putting planting thoughts and ideas and suggestions in our brain or using someone around us to cause it to happen. But here's, here's quite frankly the difference. Conviction says that what you did was wrong. Conviction says that what you did was bad. Condemnation and shame says that you are wrong and you are bad because of what you did. Are you hearing me? Shame says I'm bad because of what I did. Conviction by the Holy Spirit says you are perfect in my eyes, but what you did was wrong. There's a big difference between the two. You and I don't have to walk in shame. Paul found this out. He said, I'm unashamed. I got a feeling for one of the first times in his life, he was unashamed. And he found the power for that transformation in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 1.16, for, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. You might look at yourself in the mirror and go, There's, I have no power to get people saved. None of us do, but what we have is the gospel message of Jesus Christ and an experience of turning our hearts over to it. Therein lies the power to simply share your story and the story of the gospel with someone and let God do all the work thereafter. Yeah. You want to get excited about being saved and some of you need to get re-excited or either re-saved. You want to get excited about being saved? Get someone else saved and watch your excitement level go through the, through the roof about Jesus Christ. Well, just hold it all in. Put that little light, this little light of mine. I don't want no little light. I want to be a raging, raging inferno for the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I get a witness? Hmm? Hallelujah. Paul says that the gospel, are you ready, is the power of God to salvation. So when you or I share the gospel, we are sharing and activating the power of God to salvation. Many of us, when we hear the word salvation, we think of someone getting saved for the very first time. But that is a very small 
small definition of this word salvation. Many of you all who are, have already been saved still need salvation. What am I talking about? Deliverance, peace, all the, all the stuff that comes with having, being a follower of Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. That salvation covers healing from my sickness. Salvation covers uh, uh, freedom from my depression. Salvation co covers no longer walking in shame even though I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Can I get a witness? Even though I'm saved, I still need salvation. I need saving from some other stuff. Huh? And sometimes every day. I know y'all are holier than that. The gospel message is the power of God to salvation. Now let me give an illustration. Some commercial airlines can take off lifting total weights of upwards of 175,000 pounds. I can't even imagine the power that it takes to get that jet off the ground with 175,000 pounds of weight in it. And not only get off the ground, but uh, elevate to 30,000 feet and maintain that altitude for however long this needed. I'd say there's some power there, right? Wouldn't you? Now, the word power that the Apostle Paul is using here is the Greek word dunamis. And it means dynamite. This is what this great, this Greek word means. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the dynamite. It, is, it has the power of dynamite, the power of God. Paul's describing that power in an unbelievable way. That can, you know, dynamite can destroy a lot of things, but in this case, the spiritual aspect is that it can destroy the old and bring in the new. It can take away the things that were holding you down and lift you up. It can pull you up out of the miry clay and set your feet on the rock of salvation. Can you say amen? It can change your heart and your soul. It can change your mind. It can change your way of thinking, change your way of talking, change the things you're looking at, the places you're going to. It can, it's got dynamite power. Who was it? J.J. Walker. Dynamite. Paul passionately expressed that he was unashamed of the gospel. And he expressed that because he realized that it was the power of God to salvation. To anyone who would believe. Anyone who would believe. Because it was sufficient for him. Saved him. A terrorist. If it was happening today, he would be labeled a domestic terrorist. It's sufficient for him. And I want you to know something, brothers and sisters. It's sufficient for you. And it's sufficient for those around you that you'd love to get saved, but you're afraid to tell them because you're ashamed of the gospel. Paul was passionate about this. Now, I really believe that all of us are in desperate need of salvation. Every one of us have fallen short of the mark of God. Now, I'm, I'm differentiating 
being saved, born again, and receiving salvation. I still got some things in my life that I need salvation from, freedom from, deliverance from, healing from. You can look up that word salvation, you'll find that it encompasses a whole lot more than just born again. A lot of people get born again and live, live a, a life filled with hell the rest of their life, even though they're already born again. They're, they're in trouble, they're, they're, they're embarrassed, they're, they're living a life of shame, they're living in depression, they're, they're still uh, con considering suicide, they're, they're still uh, hooked on drugs and addicted to something, but saved. They've had their salvation, their saving, born-again experience, but their lives are still desiring the salvation that comes with it. All of us have fallen short of that. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are guilty. I didn't say ashamed, and I didn't say condemned. But every one of us are guilty and in need of a Savior. There's not a one of us in this room who can make our own way to heaven, find our own path to salvation. We are guilty before God, and we need the blood of Jesus Christ to wash us whiter than snow. All of us. God is more, I believe God is more committed to our salvation than we are. We seem to be okay. Okay, I got my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. I'm born again. I can call myself a Christian now. I got a church to go to, kind of like the pastor. And you still haven't had a life change. All of us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I think God is a little bit more interested in our salvation than we are. He's so interested in our salvation that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. People on earth who were living in rebellion to him, cursing him, uh, 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 serving other gods, and he sent his only son, Jesus, to take the judgment and the penalty for you and I for our sins. And I think it's a shame that we simply pick that small tidbit of what Christ gave us. Now, it's huge and mammoth in scale, but there's so much more than just getting born again. It's living the life you were born to live, and it's living the life that comes with being born again. It, it's living a life that somehow knows how to have joy in a joyless situation. It's living a life that knows how to have self-confidence even in a shameful situation. It's living a life on top of everything even when everything's on top of you. It's more than just getting saved. And thank God for saving me, praise God. But now I need to walk out the salvation. And the Bible says you walk out your salvation with fear and with trembling. I don't have to do fear and trembling over being saved. All I got to do is believe. Then the rest of my life is a, a walk out my saving, my salvation with fear and trembling. Sent his only son, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So picture yourself in a courtroom. You're before a judge, and you're before a jury. 
and you're guilty. I've been there. It's scary. I won't even tell you that story. I've told it before. I'll tell it again someday. So here you are. You're standing before the judge and you're standing before the jury. And you're guilty. And in some cases, guilty in this scenario, in this illustration, let's say guilty of the most serious, heinous crime. Really bad. And the penalty at stake is a life sentence, uh, possibly even a death sentence. The judge and the jury all agree that without a doubt, guilty as charged. No question about it. What can you do? Can you plead mercy? Can you tell your side of the story? Can you make a deal? The reality is that there's nothing that you can do to change the outcome. Then something happens. Then the judge out of nowhere slams his gavel on the table and declares you innocent of all charges. Not because of who you are, but because he chose to grant you an unexplainable grace. He didn't, he didn't do it because of any other reason that's even fathomable other than I'm going to show this person unexplainable, incomprehensible grace. That's the story for us all. Some of us, like myself, probably was thinking back on some point that caused shame and embarrassment and there was a judge and a jury but this is the story of all we are all guilty before a judge because of our sin and that judge is God and the, the consequences of our sin if not washed in the blood of the lamb is of eternal value and it is also if you're washed in the blood of the lamb it's just two eternal values in an act of grace you're declared innocent because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, there's nothing you did. You had no plea deal with God. You didn't make a deal with God. It wasn't because, I don't know, you look pretty special. I'm going to give you a sprout on this one. No, you were guilty and you needed Christ. Every one of us. And for many of us here in this room, and maybe even online as you're listening to today, you've accepted Jesus Christ into your life. You've been washed. You've been proclaimed before God and all of heaven guiltless. Devil wants to bring upon you shame and embarrassment and reminders. Romans 6 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So much, man, this could preach for days. Uh, the book of Romans, it levels the playing field and it brings us all into equal ground. And the equal ground is that we were all at one time or another guilty before a holy God. That's why we needed Christ. For those who've never had that sensation that I'm guilty before a holy God, actually have never had the sensation of believing they needed a savior. You actually got to come to that point. You recognize I need a savior here. I need an advocate here. The wages of sin is death, but thanks be to God, we received the greatest gift that we could ever imagine. 
Why is the greatest, why is eternal life with Jesus Christ the greatest gift? It's because there's no greater need we have than to be made right with God. Being made right with God is the most important thing that we can have in our lives. And so that's the greatest need. Therefore, the greatest gift is Jesus Christ. And he didn't give you, <coughs> Father God did not give you Jesus Christ just so you could package him in your Bible book bag and bring him to church. He saved you so you could go out and to share this gospel with others who are also dying and on their way to hell. And they need this great Savior that you need. But first they need to discover they have a need of a Savior. And how do they do that? By recognizing that they're guilty before a holy God. You see, this is what the watered down message of don't talk about sin has done. It's caused people to no longer believe they need God as bad as they needed God before. Get themselves fixed up. Well, you might say, well, I'm young, I'm healthy, I'm strong, I got plenty of time. And I remember being, how old are you, TJ? 16. I, I know it's been a long time ago for me, but I actually remember being 16. I didn't think, I thought I was invincible. Nothing's ever going to hurt me. I'm going to live forever. I'm 67 and I pull a muscle sleeping at night. Give me a break. Huh? Y'all know what I'm talking about. You know? You know you're getting old when you can't put your pants on without holding on to something with your other hand. When I was 16, I could practically jump right into my britches and they just came with me. remember what it felt like to, to feel invincible. Nothing will ever happen. When I was youth pastor here, I would, and I preached, used this illustration for many, many years, I was always, I was intrigued by the uh, sugar beet production around here and all the trucks and everything. And, uh, and often I'd see sugar beets that were laying on the side of the, the road that come flying up out of a truck. My favorite altar call was, you have no clue when you're going to be walking and a sugar beet going to fly out of a truck and hit you in the back of the head. Are you going to heaven or hell? I got people saved with that gospel. Let me tell you what, man. The gospel of, yeah. I know what it's like to feel healthy and strong. And I've got plenty of time. Because Diane and I are making decisions in our life right now based on our age. 67, I'm not saying we expect to die. Praise God. But, you know, in 13 years, uh, what, 80? Okay, at 80, things start disintegrating rapidly. Huh? What I was capable of doing at 67 might not be as capable at 80. Are you hearing me? So we make decisions in our life right now. Well, we're going to be able to do this for the next 10 years. Look at Brother Chuck over here. 80. One, 86, 80, 86, okay. And I think even he would agree, as healthy as he has been and vibrant in his life, when, when you turn in that late 70s and early 80s, things are different. 
Life is different. Now, I expect to live, to be long, live long, amen? Moses didn't get to deliver the children of Israel until he was 80 years old. Give me a break, okay? Caleb uh, went to uh, Moses and said, hey, I want the land that was promised me. I'm 85, and I'm as strong today as I was when I was 40 to go in and out of war and do all that. I started claiming the Caleb and the Moses gift. Can I get a witness from somebody? But life's changing, you know? It's different. I can't put my shoes on anymore without a shoehorn that's that long. I got two of them. In case I get stuck somewhere with my shoe off. and I, can't, I got my finger in there and I can't get my finger out. I'm in trouble. Life changes. I got to grease my feet before I can get my socks on. Are you kidding me? Life changes, brother. I'm just saying, all right? James chapter 4, and this is going to bring me to my close. James chapter 4, verse 13 through 15 says, Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city. We'll spend a year there. We'll carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist. That's you. That's me. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time. Instead, you ought to say, well, if it's the Lord's will, then we will do this or do that. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not going to live the rest of my life with this imagery. But this is a great example for us to recognize this is how fleeting life can be. One accident. One heart attack. One disease. God is telling us through the Apostle James that life is fragile, that life is frail. This life is like a vapor which means a mist, an exhalation, a smoke, a vapor, as we see ascending from a stream, or as lies on a mountainside in the morning, or as floats for a little time in the air, or an early morning fog that's dissipated once the heat of the sun comes out. And I'm not trying to scare anybody. That's not how I approach the gospel. But until we come to that place where we recognize that, my, that your life is nothing more than that, it should put something inside of us that says, I'm going to make sure I keep everything in my life squared up with God and make sure that God is in the center of my life in everything I do.
And what it will also do is when you think about your friends that are unsaved, and you're thinking you ought to share the gospel with them, that you're ashamed of God and you're ashamed of the gospel, if you could begin to see them like that. The feelings that would come over someone if you were talking with someone one day and you really felt like I should share the gospel, but then you chickened out and the next day, can you imagine? God is telling us that life is fragile. It's fragile for each of us, and even more so as we get older. But it's fragile for all of those around us who do not know Jesus Christ. Just as fragile. Life is still nothing more than this, whether you're saved or whether you're not. Read your arms a little bit. interesting thing is, is that once that's disappeared, it doesn't leave a trace behind. So what is your life? According to God, nothing more than, it's a daunting thought, isn't it? What is your life? According to God, nothing more than a mist. All your plans that you make in life? or quite frankly, a continuation of believing that life will be long. And I'm believing that life will be long. And yes, I even opened this part of it up, the message, by saying, Diane and I make certain plans in our life right now of, about, okay, how will we, for example, our, our property at the lake house to get from the back door down to the lake is a very steep hill. We get around 80, it's going to be a lot harder to navigate that hill than it is at 67. That's just a fact of life. It is. You know, uh, uh, Diane's mom lived there, and they had uh, rails down the side of the steps. And I get rid of those rails, and I, I still got them in the barn because someday we're going to need them again. Come on, somebody. Why? And here's the problem. Out the back of the house to the road is downhill, too. Uh-huh, uh-huh. One day I'm going to head out, when I get about 80, I'm going to head out the front door toward the lake. Diane's going to find me laying down on the bank going, help, I can't get up. And I can't get a hold of her because she's done slid down the driveway out into the road. <laughs> I'm not kidding. We've had these, we've, not, we've had these conversations. How many more years do we have? to be able to live a vibrant life here on the lake. <laughs> Praise God. So anyway, if one winter y'all come over to my house and you see Diane laying in the driveway, would you please come check the lakeside because I'm down there, okay? <laughs> Life, uh, everything that we do depends upon, everything that we plan kind of also depends upon our idea of the longevity of life, and we can't really calculate the permanence of a vapor, and, and quite frankly, who can build any solid foundation on a mist? 
there's only one solid foundation, and it's Jesus Christ. Right? Life is transient and brief, and I believe that we're supposed to make the best of it while we have it, make the most of it while we have it. While you're young, y'all, all y'all that are young, just keep making the best of life that you can and make all the right choices because the wrong choices you make today will come visit you when you approach 70, just saying. Life is transient and brief. And I believe that God wants us to live the most of our life to the fullest. I've come to give you life and to give you life abundantly, he says. But not just so you could store it and harvest it for yourself. But so you could go and share the power of God, hear the gospel for someone else and give them hope even in the face of a miss. Our one endeavor must be to discover what God's will is and then to do it. Not to, as the scripture said, oh, well, I'm going to go to this town, then I'm going to go to that town. And the scripture says, well, why don't you find out what the Lord wants you to do? If we're not constantly saying, Lord, thy will and not my own, then we are not making the uttermost of this. He is supposed to be the center of everything that we do, every decision that we make, every life decision that even Diane and I are talking about. I think every time our kids come over, they see a little bit of a disintegration, and at least every year they see a little bit of disintegration in mom and dad and grandma and grandpa because they're getting older. Papa don't quite get up out of his chair as quick as he used to, and Papa walks down the steps, and if he's been sitting around too long, he he walks down the steps a little funny, you know what I'm saying? At 67. But I'm still believing in the old adage from Tennessee, it's only going to get gooder and gooder. Why? Because Jesus is at the center of my life. Jesus is at the center of my life. And if you're not constantly saying, Lord, thy will and not my own, then you're missing out greatest part of living it is the lord's will that each one of us are god followers it is the lord's will that every human being becomes a jesus learner it is the lord's will that every human being gets saved and becomes a disciple of jesus christ the scripture says the lord says i am not willing that any should perish but that all should come to know the lord it ain't up to, pre, up to the preacher to be the guy or gal that shares it. It's up to you all, preachers in the, in the pews, futures. Just made up another word, praise God. No, I didn't say P-U-chers. Not one of us knows how long life will last. Not one of us. We don't know whether we'll live to be 100 or whether we'll die before the morning sun rises again. None of us knows that. None of us. I'm not trying to scare anyone. I'm trying to bring reality to the gospel message. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 2 in the New Living Translation, as I prepare to close, as God's partners. Did you hear that? Did you know that you're partnering with God? 
As God's partners, we beg you not to accept the marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, at just the right time I heard you, on the day of salvation I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Now, let me say this again because I've said it a number of times. When I say the word salvation, I'm not just talking about getting saved. I'm talking about all the other stuff that comes with getting saved. Really comes after getting saved. Huh? I'm still getting freed of some stuff in my life, and I've been saved for a long time. Are you hearing me? I'm still beginning to experience salvation in certain areas of my life, and I've been saved since 1970. <laughs> Don't stick a fork in me. I'm not done yet. gospel message of Jesus Christ is the power of God to salvation. It's the roadway to freedom. It's the doorway to life. Jesus is the one and only way. You're not going to get to heaven through any other means than Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. He didn't save you just to come to church. He did save you to come to church to be equipped so you could go get other people saved. And then they could start their journey of salvation, discipleship. The gospel message that the Apostle Paul was unashamed of was his answer to his guilt and to his shame and to the guilt of his past. And I want you to know that it's your answer as well. It's a study of the gospel message of Jesus Christ that, st that still brings me freedom today. So when I study the gospel message of Jesus Christ, simple and sweet and straight up, is when I, I have a greater recognition and awareness of my righteousness before Jesus Christ. I can preach all kinds of messages. We could do, we could do the end times. We could do uh, spirituality. We could do all kinds of things. But there's no other message that carries the power of God like the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And it's not just for getting saved. That's what I want you to recognize here, beloved. Some of you are still waiting for your salvation in a lot of different areas of your life. So what you and I need to do is we need to give, give up on doing life alone. A lot of Christians still doing life alone. We need to learn how to lean into God's strength, especially when you feel weak and helpless. Lean into his strength. Trust that if God can save you, and he can, that he can also handle every other situation in your life, and he will if you let him. It don't stop with getting saved. That's just the beginning of the journey. And every journey that I take every year, sometimes every day, I hope to experience another aspect of this great salvation that I've received through Jesus Christ. And I hope that I keep receiving it and experiencing it all the way up to the day that one of you find me down on the bank by the, by the lake. Help, they're falling, and they can't get up. you'll only let him.
So when you feel beat down by sin, come on. When you feel beat down by sin, we're saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. We've never sinned. How dare you? I was baptized as a baby. I ain't never sinned a day in my life. When you feel beat down by sin, remind yourself that there's no shame, that there's no condemnation for those who trust in Jesus. And that could be you today. To recognize who you are as a Christian. And to recognize that your journey is more than just a church attender, a life group attender. Every one of us are called to be evangelists, but we're reluctant evangelists. And sometimes it's because we're so overburdened and laden down with shame and guilt from our past, and other times it's because we're ashamed of the gospel and the church. Don't wait. Don't put it off for another day. believe this and receive it, would you give the Lord a praise in the house of God today? Now, I've shared throughout this message that this salvation, this gospel of Jesus Christ, starting point is saving, being born again. But something comes after being born again, start growing up in Christ becoming a mature Christian, experiencing all the wonders and joys of the Christian life. And I, I pray I never, I pray that I never reach that utopia. I pray that as long as the Lord gives me life, whether I live to be 100 or whether in every moment I experience a number, another one of the wonders of God's great salvation, so bad for you to have that same desire. This is the excitement of living the Christian life. What do you got for me today, God? Really? You want me to go witness to someone? No. Who knows what I missed out on in that day? Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes for a minute? This message was for all of us. It wasn't just a message because I knew that there was a bunch of unsaved people in the house. Well, why would you preach the gospel message when you're preaching to the choir? Because quite frankly, in many respects, the choir have only gotten saved, but they've never received their salvation. If you follow me. You're healing. You're delivering. salvation to everyone who believes. If you've not been living, I'm looking around, I know, I know just about everyone in here, but I don't want to miss out on anyone. If you've never accepted Christ into your life, I want you to do that today. 
if you've never accepted Jesus, could you just slip your hand up real quick and say, yep, that's me. I'd like to start this journey. Anyone at all? I thought I knew everyone in the house. Okay, so every one of us are saved in the house. We're all born again. And, but you're recognizing, maybe you have been recognized, just, not just because of this message today, but maybe you're recognizing, yeah, I'm saved, but I have not been living this full life of salvation. If that's you, would you raise, if you're going to raise your hand, go ahead and stand up. Go ahead, stand up. You're saying, I want to begin to experience more than just being born again. I want salvation. I need salvation in some areas of my life. I'm addicted to this or I'm addicted to that. I need saving from that. I'm filled with depression and, and anxiety. I need salvation from that. I'm hurting because of what someone did to me in the past. I need saving from that. And I'm looking around and there's people standing from all walks of life. <coughs> various positions within the kingdom. This is one of the greatest confessions that you could have next to the confession that Jesus Christ is my Lord. This is, can be the next greatest confession that you can have and begin to walk out. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Lord, I just say a prayer over each one of these today that are standing right now. And I can tell by their facial expressions that this is a meaningful moment for them. Saying, Lord, I thank you for saving me however long ago it was. Lord, I've been waiting for some salvation in certain areas of my life and it ain't happened yet. And Jesus would say to you, get back to the gospel. God bless you, dear. Lord, for each one of these that are standing, I speak blessing over their life. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen, and amen. Give the Lord a